It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Recorded live. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Genesis Science Fiction Radio Show, a service of the BlackScienceFictionSociety.com website. This year's September 8th, 2017th edition. It was a cold day here in Chicago. Um, my name is William Hayashi. I'm your host for tonight. Our special guest, and, and I say special because already it looks like it's going to work out pretty darn nice is Vince White. He's a uh, he's comic book artist, writer, and publisher. He's probably got his own line of comics. We haven't talked about that yet. But uh, Vince, welcome to the show, man. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited. I'm ecstatic. And uh, it's been a while since I've been on Genesis, but uh, I definitely consider myself a friend of the show. Very cool. Now, where are you coming to us from tonight? I live in Virginia, Hampton, Virginia, to be exact. Okay. All right. And what's your weather been like? Was Is it cooling down? Because the National Weather Service says we're going to have an early fall, even though it's supposed to warm up a little bit next week. You know, it's funny that you asked about the weather. I am north, obviously, of, of Florida, and the odd events that have happened, uh, oh, yeah. you know, Texas and what, Georgia and now Florida, uh, it's supposed sure. to come up to South Carolina, uh, we, you know, and we're right on the border of North Carolina. So if it goes a little further, these storms, uh, I don't know what my weather will be like. But <laughs> but a quick aside, I know I'm, we're, we're going to jump into this. I was I was driving to, uh, today, and I just had, I don't know if it's an, epiph- an epiphany or not, but I was just thinking about some ancient cultures, and I was just, I understood why they thought the way they did. I was like, um, uh, the the confluence of the events that have happened. We just had it. We just had an uh, an eclipse, did did we not? Right. Yes. We and did. then and then afterwards, we have these two devastating uh, hurricanes that have wiped out you know, a, a mass, you know, um, I guess infrastructure and and houses and displaced people, and now it's still continuing. I, you know, if I was a Mayan king, I would be looking for some war prisoners prisoners to throw into a volcano right now. <laughs> like, please stop. Because well, the, the, the two events, I would, I would somehow link them in my mind. Well, that, that's true. And, and then you have really stupid-ass people excuse me for saying so, and I hope I don't offend you, <laughs> no. but you got, you know, televangelists talking about, oh, this is punishment for this, that, and the other thing. Oh, and yeah, and yeah. Let's, let's, say, let's say that if there were a God and it was a petty, childish, vicious <laughs> God like these people paint the picture that they do, and and this God was mad at people like me, liberals and progressives, who think that we should move forward and grow up as a uh, as a society. 
if it's punishment for the kinds of things that I support, like equality for women, uh, the LGBTQ community, (laughs) exactly all of that, then why, why, why does God visit mayhem on red states? There you go. (laughs) That's the question. That is the question which actually proves you know, the ridiculousness of that. And you know what? You've got to be pretty damn stupid to think of that anyway. There's a guy, I just read about him today. He is a legislator in Wisconsin. Okay. And he, he is standing up there telling everybody that the world is only 6,000 years old. This yeah. is one of them stupid, mother, <laughs> uh, stupid people who thinks that the Flintstones is a documentary. <laughs> yeah. With the with the feet out the bottom of the car and <laughs> well, well, dinosaurs and uh, you know as yeah. pets for humans and stuff and men so, walking around. So yeah, <laughs> but your your point is well taken. If you don't have the yep. kind of science, you know, the the reasonable kind of science to understand weather, to understand cause and effect, um, yep. to realize that actually it's the Earth rotating around the sun rather than the sun, the moon, and everything else rotating around Earth, then Yes, you could be excused for bad publicity and and people behaving that way. But, uh, you know, the one thing that just proves that to me that uh, if there is some sort of creator of all things, they are the least bit interested in our petty concerns. You know why? Because that's, first of all, that's foolish. The other thing, so let's let's extend this out. If there is, because we're we're you know we're kind of like a science fiction, fantasy, and horror kind of environment. But yep. if in fact, um, if in fact the universe, let's take the whole universe, as big as it is, as vast as it is, as many galaxies as there are. If in fact, according to some people who study the Bible we're the only people in this universe, then that creator of all things, that God, is pretty wasteful. <laughs> true, true. Now, you know, I have, I have so many mixed feelings about uh, religion and the Bible. I was raised Baptist. And yeah. I, I got a chance to read uh, the entire Bible when I was in uh, boot camp. I was in the Navy. And okay. uh, it was it was like the first time I was separated from home. You know, I was like 17, young in my bunk, and and worrying whether or not I was going to make it through boot camp. <laughs> and uh, which which leads me into comics because uh, w- when I was underway on the ships, this is you know it's really like nothing to do. And I had a friend of mine who had comics that gave them to me, and this is how I sort of mm-hmm. got into that. But but it was in boot camp that I, you know, I really read the entire Bible, which gave me so many, I don't know, I was just, I was taken back by it all. And, you know, you said, you know, is, is the creator a wasteful creator? Is he not? If, if someone could just tell the story, I don't know if you saw the movie Noah, but if someone could tell no, the story, didn't. Yeah. You, you didn't see it? No, I did not. Yeah, yeah, and, there's reasons why, <laughs> but um, if someone would just tell the story of the Bible as it is written, it is the best 
if you want to detach yourself from the religious aspect, uh, science fiction story, and I don't mean that as, in a derogatory sense. I'm telling you, no, it, no, it, it, I, I, I completely agree. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I it, agree. It, Go ahead. It, it is fantastic. It will make you, if you want to dive into that world, it will make you think. In a from from you know a war of the DNA to you know gigantic new breeds of men, uh, you know, to the deluge and, uh, you know, the fall of kings who are, you know, ten times taller than normal men. I mean, it's a lot of interesting stuff that would make the Lord of the Rings just look, you know, just pale in comparison. And, and uh, <laughs> you know, look, how do we get into this from the eclipse? <laughs> but, but I, you no, know, no, but I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. Look, the basis of all of the stories that you put in your comic books, all of the, the stories I put in my, or all of the tales I put in my short stories and novels are the basis of our imagination, which is driven by our sociology, our culture, and stories told to us. Am I right? Yeah, this is true. This is true. So, so of course, the Bible is going to play a part in that. And, and I, I May I may I pass a little scholarship along to you? Yeah, um, sure. I'm, I'm, an, I'm an ordained minister. Okay, I'm an ecumenical oh, pastor. Which, no way. Which, and and I am an empiricist. So as okay. an empiricist, I have a I have doubts about the automatic belief in God. You know, my faith is not is not absolute because oh. if I don't it, I don't believe it, okay? And, uh-huh. and you know, there are people who will say, oh, well, a butterfly is proof of God. And, you know, after I slap them around a little bit, they just go away. <laughs> but but here's, here's the deal. I will tell you this. 10,000, between 10 and 15,000 years ago, despite what that idiot in Wisconsin said, um, all the civilizations on the planet were ruled by women, every single one of them, without exception. And the reason why women ruled was because of their inherent uh, mysticism. Um, First of all, they gave birth. They gave birth. Yeah. And the second thing is women bled without dying. Think about the mysticism of that back then. Those were the two biggest reasons why women were, were lauded as the purveyors of civilization way back when. Now, all between ten and five thousand years ago, men got fed up with having to take orders from women or being, you know, subservient to to women's rule. And so what men started to do, and it caught on so quickly. I mean, in less than a thousand years, it caught on just about around the globe. But in in that short amount of time, men invented organized religion. Okay, there there were no Baptists, there were no Catholics, there were none yeah, of that, yeah, okay? Yeah, there yeah. was no belief in a supreme male divinity up Ugh. until then. Men even created Gaia. every single even, god. Go ahead, yeah. So, so, yeah, so even Gaia, even Gaia, you know, or, or this is far removed, but even Gaia was a female uh, presence of sorts, is what you're saying, that, that it's... Absolutely. That, that, you know, every, mm. everything back then was pagan. 
you know, just to, just to give a name to it, okay, just to but, give yeah. it a, a kind of a name. All right, so men invented organized religion, and in each one of these religions, they wrote in, they codified the fact that women were second-class citizens, incapable of being equal to men, every single one, without exception. Now, for a while there, my dad's Japanese, and uh, his family are Buddhists. And so for a little while there, I, was, I felt like superior, like, oh, well, Buddha doesn't do that. Buddha doesn't put down women until I realized, well, Buddha has a penis. You see what I'm saying? So yeah. It, even, yeah. even Buddhism followed that model. But, but all of these people who are so convinced ah. about the righteousness of their religion, the righteousness of their, and I just did air quotes around there, their, their <laughs> God, the righteousness of their belief in, in how God created the world is, was something that was invented to keep women as subservient second-class citizens. Now, there's going to be a whole lot of people who listen to this, and they're going to be pissed off at me, and they're going, you know, that's how you actually know what he's talking about. But they would be stupid to do that because I've actually gone to school. I actually drumming up, drumming up those, uh, uh, those calls. I have. And <laughs> yeah, and, and, yeah and, and if you want to write nasty letters, write them directly to me, and I will answer people's questions. But see, that's the thing. So when you think about how do men strike fear into a society, or a culture in terms of an unseeable, unknowable, untouchable deity, you have to go with science fiction. You have to go with horror. You have to go with fantasy. Paint the picture that will keep a culture in line, that will keep a society on bended knee to the concepts that you created in order to control the culture. So you, you are so on the money, dude. Do, do you think? About, do, do, you think do you think? Do um, you think? You know. You know. Let's say how some families have family secrets. Let, let, let you know. Let's say your aunt Barbara <laughs> is actually your mother, but her sister took on her child because Barbara was just. You know, she was just too. She was a wild child, and so you've been calling her sister mother for you know the last forty years, right? It's a right, family secret, right? Right. Do do you think that out of you know it, it is inherent that man is of a lineage, you know that we are generational. So someone begot me, and someone begot them, and that a certain amount of knowledge is passed on. Do you think that we, as a complete whole, humanity, are absent of the family secret? that no one knows where we came from, and that well, no one at all on this planet knows. Do you think that's we possible? We talked about that last week. We no, talked about no that in the show last week. <laughs> no, seriously. All right. Um, there are people who strongly believe, based upon you know certain artifacts across the globe, like some of the, yeah. the, the huge carvings in the plains, um, you know, mm-hmm. in rock mountains and stuff that you can only see from the air. You know, you can only understand what they are from the air. Think Things like Peru. that. You know, people Peru, even I say, people, yeah, people even talk about the architecture of the pyramids. Yes, it was within man's purview to be able to create the pyramids, to build them. 
but where did they get the idea, blah, 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 okay? Last week we talked about, or maybe, I don't know if it was last week, maybe it was something I wrote. I'm in the middle of writing a book. Ah, Um, you write. uh, Oh, yeah. I don't know if the audience knows, knows about you, William, but, you know, I'm a comic book writer. But you know, yeah, no, you, no, I you, I know you are. Yeah, <laughs> go ahead. Who are you, William? Uh, you know, t- tell I'm, the world I'm a who novelist. <laughs> I'm a novelist, and I'll tell you, you know, just briefly because a lot of people have heard this through a lot of shows. But I started writing in 2001. I got divorced. I had some time on my hands, and yeah, I was sitting around. I was actually the board chair of a social service agency, and we were going through reaccreditation. Ooh. So, since I had the best grammatical skills. I was I was there, even though it's an unpaid board position, every day to do the editing of the six feet of three ring binders that we have to fill out to get reaccredited to do foster wow. care here in Chicago for that agency. So anyway, it was a crappy ass February day, and you know something said to me, you know, first of all, no matter how many stories you have in your head, they don't exist unless you write them down, and second of all, I was angry at that time for the fact that people like you and me do not exist in America's lexicon of black folks. Okay, black folks who have regular jobs, black folks who own businesses, black folks who pay their bills, black folks who aren't thugs, black folks who aren't musicians, black folks who are not rappers, black folks who are not athletes. You know, if, if, if you're not one of those, you don't exist. This is why you have the narrative in American culture today that black folks are thugs. And that's why they're getting killed by white folks because, A, they can do it with impunity, and, B, for whatever reason, they're scared to death of us, okay? (laughs) I started writing writing a book. First of all, I thought of a great ending. Then... um, Best way to uh, write a book. Well, yeah, and then the, the other thing is what I started writing was I wanted to write about black folks who I grew up with. Um. Uh, you know, like like you, you know, like me, you know, all the, all the folks I grew up with, you know, none of them were, well, okay, some were gangbangers, you know. Uh, I grew up during the Blackstone Rangers and the Disciples era in Chicago. Oh, wow, and yep, yep. even hung with a lot of the Rangers because they were friends with my parents. So not anyway, during the Cabrini I, Green, not during the Cabrini Green uh, era. Actually, no, actually this was Southside. Cabrini Green was Northside. And okay. I worked in Cabrini Green at the turn of the century. But anyway, wow. here's what I what made me start to write. I wanted to write a story about people like me, people I grew up with. Okay, it was a protest, right? And I also wanted to write about, you know, I wanted the themes of social justice. So when I wrote about America discovering that black folks had been secretly living on the backside of the moon since before Neil Armstrong got there, it it was about why would African Americans choose to leave Earth and live just by themselves in secret on the moon. That was my that was my thing. <laughs> All right, so that was my that's that's like what that. made it happen. And if you look it up on Amazon, you know it's well rated. Blah blah blah. What's I the title? Find anybody? Uh, it's the Dark Side trilogy, and the three books are Discovery, Conception, and Confrontation. Oh, we All right, definitely so, have to talk. Yeah, enough about me, but I mean, you know, when when you think in terms of, because obviously you've given it some thought, you've given the fact that the Bible is 
is one of the earliest and most enduring science fiction, fantasy, and horror books in the history of Western civilization. Yeah. And yeah. it is. But but hardly anybody thinks of it. And I'm I'm fascinated that you do. Okay. Well, you know, right I'm now I'm trying to that, decide. Go ahead. I'm trying to decide at what depths of trouble do I want to get into because I can tell you the overview or I can tell you what I pulled from it and why it could, if it doesn't make real sense, it makes a very good science fiction story. And and, and maybe that's how I should frame it. Uh, because I'll have some things that will make you say, hmm, like uh, Arsenio Hall used to say. When I read it, I pulled some things out. And I'd love to run them by you. Now, granted, I'm Vince White, the creator of, of the Powerverse at thepowerverse.com. But, yeah. I, you know, I, well, also, I, I'm, multi, wait, I'm multidimensional. Also, I'm multidimensional. Also, it, yeah. Well, go ahead. Aren't you also, <clears throat> don't you also have your work at willpowercomic.com? Willpowercomic.com. It is a shared URL. In other words, if you type in one or the other, willpowercomic.com or thepowerverse.com, it will take you to the same site. Okay, no, that's good because, I, you know, we want to announce it for people who pick this up as a podcast so they can check you out maybe while they're listening to this as a podcast. Oh, yeah. yeah. Now, I I get you. I, I so get you about... Well, let me ask you this. Okay, so <laughs> oh, you give me a we trouble. have to ask, we have to no, we have to ask about your work first because is your current work okay? You're a publisher of comic books, correct? Yes. And these are out of your own mental creative universe, your own creative universe, correct? Uh, to a certain degree, yes. Okay. Are any of them suggested by the work? The works in the Bible. I'm I'm just curious because last uh, yeah. week we actually had a a Christian themed comic book creator uh, was being interviewed last week. I guess his name was Eric Rogers. So mm-hmm. and I was just curious because having two of you bump up against each other in a row is rather unusual. Well, if yeah. your stories come from if, yeah, if your stories come from someplace else, I'm a little curious to know, you know right off the bat where your stories come from. But but you know what? Yeah. Before we do that, um where I'm curious, you're you're in Virginia now. Are you a transplant or are you a homegrown product? I am I'm a homegrown product that has left and come back. So I've been around the world, you know, I'm ex Navy. So yeah, I have traveled course. around. Yeah, I've traveled around. I've lived all over the world, all over the United States. Uh so um yeah, but I have made my foundation here. You know, now I'm in my I am in my mid forties, and uh, this is a time to sort of uh, relax and pursue your, you know, your your dreams or goals that you may have had that were unfulfilled that you have yet been sated by. So now, uh, when you were in the Navy, were you a content creator then, or did you do this before? No, no, no. Because I'm, you know, <clears throat> all right. Let's be honest. Everybody, everybody draws, but not everybody yep. continues. Okay. Uh, so yeah. Almost 
every comic book creator I've talked to said, yeah, I picked up crayons when I was two years old and never looked back. For people like you, you had a hiatus where you're in the Navy. Sometimes you're afforded the opportunity to continue working in your creative universe while you're in the service, but a lot of times you kind of have to cut that off. So I was curious, did you start before you went into the Navy and then picked it up afterwards? Was it something, you know, where where was the kind of the beginning of your artistic endeavor in terms of doing your comic book? Well, the similar point, the, the similar point would be when I was young. Uh, okay. I would say around five or six or seven, I had an older brother that was six years older than I. He was a paraclete of intellectual prowess. Okay. My brother was a phenomenal student and an artist as well. He was featured in several newspapers. He was highly intelligent. He went on to uh, graduate from West Point, the military academy. He became an officer in the military. But he had Uh a collection of comics when he was younger. And uh, a little known fact is I suffered from dyslexia. I, I guess I mm-hmm. still do. I don't know if you ever. I don't know if you ever outgrow it. But no, you as, just you just adjust you to it with better it. and better yeah. and better. Yeah, and so when he had he had a collection of comic books, he would keep under his under our bunk bed, just like uh, oh, I'm going way back, just like different strokes. We had bunk beds. He he stayed on the bottom. While I lived on sure. top. And uh, it was in a shoebox, and wherever I touched him, I would you know. I would get a noogie on my head with his knuckle rubbing my head. Don't touch my comic book. But I would, I would constantly go back to them because when I looked at a regular page of text, it was just so many words, and I was overwhelmed, and I would get letters and numbers mixed up, like, you know, the E's and the threes, the D's and the B's, and that's what dyslexia is, basically. You, you can sure. – your orientation is off. In fact, uh, I remember I was left-handed, and 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 you know you having you know, some a fairy family orientation from the Far East, uh, you might be able to relate from this is that I, I was left-handed, and it was more apt for me to see the letters uh, from right to left, and and, and it's, it's so wild that some cultures write from right to left versus left to right here in the West. And right. and I've I've often heard that that was attributed to a creative slant. I, I didn't know it then, but anyway, reading comics were a lot easier because the words were in small bubbles and I wouldn't have to look at a whole page. I and, can see uh, that it made it, it made it much more accessible to you. Yeah. And he, he oh Oh, okay. Well, my, my, I have Cortana. I have Windows Phone. I don't know if you heard Cortana speak, but she spoke to me. Anyway, um, so I would read those books, and I was just enthralled, and he would draw. He was uh, featured in the local newspapers. He created a comic strip. We got to create the we, – we got to meet the creator of a comic strip called Flegel. It was about a uh, bird. He lived in our neighbor – no, in our city – and his comic strip was a syndicated comic strip in the newspapers worldwide. Flegel is no longer around. The guy, when we met him, he was about 60. 
So I'm pretty sure he has passed now because that's over 30 years ago. I mean, mm-hmm. it could be it could be a lot, but um, it, it those those impressions just were just solidified in me, and I think a bit of that uh, left a deep deep impression that that about comics and communicating through panels that are essential through the comic strip, that once you understand how to do that in a comic strip, you can do that in a comic book. I know it sounds trivial, but there is this, I call it comic book shorthand. There's, okay. a, certain, there's a certain element of uh, conveyance, motion, depiction that happens in a comic strip but you only have like four panels. I don't, you know. What was your favorite comic strip as a child? You know, we used to get the newspaper. You grabbed the Sunday morning, Sunday morning comics. You know, oh man, you I liked uh, I liked BC. I liked um, I liked the stuff that was heavy no. on irony. Early, early, early. I liked comic Pogo. comic strips, not comic book. Oh, 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 Pogo. No, no, no. I'm talking about in the newspaper. Yeah, BC Pogo yeah. was, uh, you know, and Pogo and. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, Beetle, Beetle Bailey was fun for yep, me. Yeah, uh, Beetle Bailey. Yeah, <laughs> I'm saying, look, I'm we're within the we're within the same age bracket to a, to an extent. Yeah, oh yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. Beetle you're, Bailey. You're not that much younger than me at all. Yeah, um, Beetle Bailey. Um, oh, the uh, what's the guy? The Viking guy. I forget his name. Uh, it, and the DC DC. Oh, that's what you meant. DC. You meant DC as an caveman. Not no, DC I meant. BC like uh, uh, Byron Charles, yeah, you know, the, yeah, the, the yeah. prehistoric guys, you know, yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah, all of that stuff. I liked, I liked irony, you know, yeah. because yeah. it, it, anything that made you think or was made you, made you, you know, misdirected your attention. That was yeah. always fun for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they did it in four panels, and and it's so amazing that you say irony. And they were able to convey that in four panels, right? Mm-hmm. And, it, and yeah. these guys, they seem to be a lot smarter than their comic strips, you know, indicated. You, you know, this was like a certain form of satire, you know. Uh, and I just, I was like overwhelmed by it as I, it, it actually taught me. It, it, I don't think kids read newspapers anymore, but comic strips, taught me they were like the commentary of the day. Yeah. You know, everything yeah. from Doomsbury to Bloom County to Garfield to Ziggy, you know, this is what I grew up on. And, and you know, if you, and believe it or not, they would use words and language that were, you know, sophisticated for me, you know, uh, <laughs> right? And, and, and all of a sudden I would learn verbiage that I didn't know before by reading the comic right. strips, uh huh, you know um, that that is long gone. You know, uh, I I support my local well, newspaper. Yeah, you know, there's there's two. I think there's an A and a B part. To why things are are different now? The A part is the decline of newspapers in general, so that they can't afford to pony up for the better comics like they used to. You know what I mean? Uh, like uh, like uh, the Daily News 
Chicago, we had the we had three papers. We had the Chicago Daily News, the Chicago Sun Times, and the Chicago Tribune. And yeah. all of them, the you know, Chicago Tribune was the big format newspaper, you know, the the big one. And mm-hmm. the other two were kind of like the digest format, or not digest, well, whatever they were. But the you know the smaller ones had two or three full pages of cartoons. Yeah, yeah. But that was back before classifieds died. When classifieds yeah. died, yeah. you know that that had a, a terrible effect on the daily newspaper in terms mm-hmm. of what it could afford and what it couldn't afford. So afford, yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's a big deal now. And and remember the smart people in in marketing and advertising and business and everything realize that very, very soon, we're probably talking less than ten years from now, people are going to be getting uh you know, somewhere in the ninety percentile, ninety to ninety five percent of all of their content is going to come in on their mobile device, either their phone or their tablet. Okay. Yeah. So, and and people have comics, not figured out strips. If, if you yeah, realize it, 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 you know the whole the whole concept of a newspaper was uh, it, it was your window to the world before there was the internet and everything else, right? And, and maybe sure. we, we need to take that into account. But there was the progress a progression path that you would take. If you were a child, you would read comic strips. As you got older, you would say, what is that annoying word problem in, in my comic strip page, on the last page? What is that annoying word problem? Let me start to figure that out. Then you would move, then you would move over to the um, crossword puzzle. From there, you would look at the local events and entertainment and before you know it, you know you're reading the opinion column, you know the the front page, and it would it would basically uh, follow your maturation process into a full uh, digesting news digesting adult, basically. Well, that's <clears throat> true, and even the horoscopes were a couple paragraphs, yeah. not that <laughs> one line, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 that you know that's gone. You go straight to your bias perception on the on the internet. But that which leads me back. I'm taking it all the way back. It leads me it leads me back to uh, comics and the eclipse and the storms and religion because all of that is about the spin. The entirety of it is about the spin. Whether you believe in uh, you know a a, a benevolent a benevolent I can never say benevolent creator uh, or mm-hmm. whether you believe in you know, the Big Bang right um, it is your spin on the events that matter you you know you're like I, I can't believe people have contributed the storms to uh, a judgment well. The spin on that, the other spin would be, and a spin towards your religious beliefs would be, uh, there was an, a, an immense amount of hatred in the country. Uh, it, 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 was, it was allowed to manifest during Barack Obama. It has gotten uh, more visceral uh, under Trump. 
and it manifested itself in tiki torches and people fighting in the street. Then there's an eclipse to show that the light is overcome by the dark. This is the spin. And then there is mass catastrophe, not judgment, but a moment to show that every man is equal and that you need your neighbor's help and he needs yours no matter the color of the skin. How does that relate to comics and and the cartoons of our day? Is that they were all moral plays. They're all allegories for how we choose to take an event and spin it towards the belief system that we hold. And if you have a hero who can make lemonade out of lemons, who can unite, you know, the nation and all its colors and spectrums, uh, and you have a villain that's opposing that, you may look at it and say, oh, it's just, it, it's just a comic book. But for so many of us who have seen more, especially if you read biblical texts, you saw more in, in the uh, writings that you've read and digested, you read comics and you understand that it's more than that as well. It's more than just a villain. It's more than just a hero. These characters are icons and allegories of something else and for that same reason, you know, uh, for the same reason of me falling in love with comics as a child, understanding, having this great chasm as an adult, falling back in love with them in the Navy, reading the Bible and understanding whether it's true or not, it's a great allegory and a spin towards something else that I could then I would then be blessed to have the opportunity to create a comic that could do the same thing, you know, <laughs> you know, like, like it could spin, it could spin my take on events towards a uh, uh, towards an ideal that I hold high. You know, I, I saw some people say this was a judgment against um, racism. These, these storms. I saw people say that it was uh, it was Trump's Katrina, and I chose to look at it as it is a unifying element to bring to humble men of all his stripes and bring him together. And as a writer, I'm pretty sure you're very aware of these powerful vehicles that you can use to convey concepts like that. Uh, and so that's, this is why I don't discount the Bible. This is why I don't discount people who believe it's 6,000 years old. I don't discount them. But I understand well, the start. of it all. No, no, you better. Let me tell you this. You better start. Let me tell you why. <laughs> Okay, because because these ignorant assholes, and I'm being kind when I say that, these people determine what your children learn in school. These Mm. people should never have their hand on the wheel. Okay, Mm. these are people who should never be elected. These are people 
fail the test of responsibility for a society. Now, you're a kinder man than because I will go and I will, I will front people directly to their face. Well, let me get deep. Well, let's get deep. Look, I am the creator of uh, of the Powerverse. <laughs> Go to willpowercomic.com. But I will get. I, I would love to get deep into this. I think this is an awesome freaking subject. The uh, uh, biblical concepts and you know my take on the Bible. Uh, you, you know, I have this controversial view of Genesis, and since you are ecumenical. Pastor, I would love to run it by you. <laughs> Is that okay? Is this the proper space? That's fine. I don't know. Okay. Well, well, you know, when I read the Bible and I got through the Old Testament, the Old Testament is like the key to really understanding the Bible in my in my view. When I read it, it talked about the creation of a perfect world, right, uh, and that. You know, there were angels who were upset and did not want to bow to man, and they were they were pissed off, and, and they, they caused the revolt, and they were cast to earth, right? Whether this is true or not, this is, what the, this is what I took from the Bible. They were cast to earth, and they took wives who were human. And by well, doing this, what, what do you what do you think about that? Well, first of all, you you get more than that, uh, more than the Bible saying that. You know, you have you have Greek mythology, you have Roman mythology, you have a lot yeah. of, yeah. you know, intermixing of deities and humans, and and basically, I would say confusion because everybody wanted to write their own story and be a bestseller. So they 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 made up some of the wildest stories in order to capture the imagination of people and and to justify various edicts and things like that. I mean, the, the history of religion is if you're going to t- look at it, you have to look at it from just about all of the major religions, and you have to look at it from the major population centers of of the earth. You know, you have to go to Constantinople. You have to go to Mesopotamia. You have to go... Have you ever ever heard of, um, like, uh, I I don't know what they call it, like false time theory or or false history theory or missing time theory? Basically, where... Yeah, what's the basis of that? They believe that there is a period of time that's completely fictional, and that that we believe the earth is older than what it is because they have contributed certain advancements to fictional characters and given those fictional characters certain periods of fictional time which has expanded the timeline and what what that means is when i was growing up i had a uh, <laughs> i had a, we had foster brothers and sisters that would come live with us and I had a brother, uh, uh, his first name was Derwin. He was, mm-hmm. a, he, was a foster, he was a foster brother. All right. To everyone else at school, he was known as Smiley. <laughs> Smiley. And he would get into fights. 
left and right. Oh my God! I remember. I remember when the. This is when you know someone challenged you on the bus, and they would wait till your bus stop and get off, and everybody would get off the fight. This was during this time. This was during like the you know early eighties and stuff, stuff like that. And anyway, it, it was amazing to me that he had this complete different persona. So when you have characters in history that are, let's say, um, I'm Alexander the Great, I am King Arthur, I am Solomon, I am Charlemagne, the concept is is that all those four characters were one person. And instead of spanning the scope of 4,000 years, they were just known by different names, and they all encapsulate one time period. And that the earth isn't as old as it is laid out to be. You have to, you have to say, and, and what, what's very interesting, I, I, I use this as a, a barometer, is that there's a certain point where Europeans have never seen people of color. And, and I find that bewildering because you have Europe, which is, you know, geographically, a, a, a stone's throw away from Africa. And if the earth is millions of years old, we know that the Moors conquered Europe. How could it be before four or 500 years ago uh, when America was basically established that we still didn't know how Africans looked and that the Europeans were still astonished by how they uh, appeared? But you've been existing on this planet for millions of years. And yet, these same people had conquered the country. Well, right. Okay. So, so there's a dilation you, of time that could be possible there, which which is interesting to me. You got about nine things in there that we would have to go through. To <laughs> in well, I'm I'm just being honest with you. Okay. No, no, I'm, I'm glad to say it was only here, nine. Here's the, here's here's the actual timeline. Um, it is scientifically accepted based upon a number of factors, that the Earth is about 4.5 billion years old. Most of the planets and moons in our solar system are about that, about that age. Now, you have to flash forward many, many, many billions of years. You know, when, it, when you're 4.5 billion years old, you have, to, you have to run forward, you know, probably... four billion of those years before we had sizable land land animals, okay? Then you have to run forward all but a couple hundred thousand of those years for hominids, okay? Then you run forward a hundred thousand years of those, and then you get the migration of hominids from Africa where you had mitochondria Eve, who was the first so-called genetic descendant of, of our modern our modern mani- manifestation of humanity, Lucy. And and so let's just talk about the last five hundred thousand years. In the last five hundred thousand years, here are things that happened. Um, hominids spread out across the earth. Okay, now the the closest genetic humans what we are today started out in Africa. That's been pretty much established. Very few people argue with that except religious people, 
All right, and I don't want to talk about them right now because they they their entire belief system is based on faith and not any kind of scientific method. Okay. I would skew that. So, I would skew that and say religious people probably adhere to what you're saying, and people who are just in denial and probably racially motivated to superiority would question that. But <laughs> and that's that's my. That's well, you know, here you you have you have bigots in America believing that yeah. whites are, are are superior to blacks, mm-hmm. and and that was fostered when blacks were brought brought here as slaves. But as yeah. we have found out time and time again, blacks exceed the standards of whites. You know, where they are not unfairly held back pretty regularly. Now, I'll give you the example. You know, one of the examples. Um, which is if it weren't for the three-point line in basketball, there'd be no whites in the NBA. Yeah, I said it. All right, you know, and that's, that's partly a, that's partly a joke. But but the other part is when you when you look at blacks who have not had a foot on their neck, they've done yeah. some pretty extraordinary things. You know, mm-hmm. in, in terms of scientific inventions, in terms of math, in terms of scientific endeavor. You know, why why is it that NASA had, you know, all of these black women as computers, as mathematicians? Mm-hmm. You know, why why was it black women? You know, what was what was so <clears throat> significant about them? You know, and yeah, people make a, a, a case for well, you could pay them less, blah blah blah. You know, but, uh, ooh, but the I'm fact about of the to blow is, side, black science fiction. I'm about to blow up black science fiction. Well, <laughs> you know, you, you said you say that you have you have roots. Your family tree reaches back to Japan, correct? Well, yeah, it does. You know, my dad's side of the family. You know, my dad was uh, Nisei. He was second generation. So yeah, we have we have roots going all the way back, you know. But the thing that we I, have I to ask hear... is the thing that we have to ask is what was the mechanism for differentiation of the races around the world? Let's say a hundred to two hundred thousand years ago, because that's a, well, that's an important that's a, that's an important. I can I can tell you I I can tell you a concept. I can't tell you for sure. I can tell you what, okay. the, what the Bible says. Uh, basically, and well, I'll address what you're saying. You know, that you have a family tree. It goes, you know, it, you have you have a family lineage that goes back to Japan and Asia and so forth. And if you look back into the chronicles of ancient Japan and Asia, you realize that the ancient Japanese were African. When you look at the Buddha, he has naps. You look at the old well, ancient statues. Yeah, but they, everybody they was African. African. Yeah. No, All you're right. absolutely but right. But everybody a, was African, African at, you yeah. know, in the beginning, you know. But but see, here's the thing. You have people who are hanging their hats on this nonsense. You have these white evangelicals in this country convinced that they are the pinnacle. They are the pinnacle of uh well, a, a quick, a quick aside, a quick aside. You know, to 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 not to belabor the point. Let's say, let's say, you know, you, you know, your family tree goes back to ancient Japan, which 
uh, draws it, a lineage from, let's say, people who have went to, into Indonesia, Australia, and up into Asia, and who populated Japan, okay? All those mm-hmm. people are from, originated from Africa, the people of, you know, color, all right? And, and how did they become people of lighter denomination? <laughs> let's let use that word. All right, all right, that's, that's a good question. Let's leave it there. Pause. And well, the, uh, part of that uh, is that part of that is genetics, because people like people like other people like them. Okay. So, and and then part of it is actually, you know, evolutionary constraints. As you move further from the equator, you find that regardless of race, body type changes. Okay. Yes, race race is a a bigger delineation, or at least a more no, noticeable delineation than body type. But as you move further from the equator, the tall, skinny body shape, which allows you to bleed off excess heat, becomes shorter and rounder in order to conserve body heat as you go further north and south. Okay. And that may that may be true. I don't know if you've seen pictures of me, but I'm not. I'm not. Uh, oh yeah. Beautiful eyes, yeah, you got the brown eyes, you know. Yeah, you could shave a little. Yeah, I mean, shave a little. I'm not high right, but uh, my mother, getting to my family lineage, my mother was raised by a Jewish family. Mm -hmm. And what was so funny is that they were uh, very close to my uh, genetic family, or my family that, you know, everyone else is a part of. And the question therein lies is the the gentleman who, he was a shoe, shoe shop owner. The gentleman was very close to my grandmother. And so why does he raise my grandmother's daughter in his home? You know, we don't know. Uh, I yeah, but dude, I, is that, 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 that's a that's a small example uh, issue. You can't you can't draw much from that, okay? Because no, you know no. what? That would be no. like me wondering what the hell was a second generation Japanese man <laughs> yeah. finding attractive with uh, a, a black woman whose family was from Oklahoma? Oklahoma. In, in wait 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 in, in college in Madison, Wisconsin. Okay. Okay. You do the thing. Yeah. So well, all of those are individual things. But you know what? We have to quit talking about this. We have to talk about what brought you here today. All right. I will get that. I will, I will get. I will jump to it. I will jump no, no, to no, it. No, no, it's okay. Quickly. But I'm just. I will, I'm just saying. You know, the, the show's half over, and and you know, we don't know anything about the work that you do. Anything about will, the creative stuff. I will, I will that brought jump you to here. it. Go ahead. I will jump to it. Do not. Do not fear. Do not fear this information, people. <laughs> It is all a part of the power verse and everything else, and, and everything else that that I dive into, is that uh, it, uh, I, will, I will I will I will process this over into the power verse is that we all come from trees, family trees, and so when something fell to the earth, and Eve had a choice of the trees she would take, she took of the tree. Of knowledge. So what does that mean? She took of the seed of a certain tree. 
And then she called Adam to come over and take of that tree. Well, she and didn't then, want to have to pay, pay on her own. But go yeah. ahead, yeah. And then, and then what, that, what does that mean in, 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 you know, a physical sense? If I think of your tree, I think of your family tree. Basically, I have seed with someone of your family tree, which changes my tree. Was she intimate with the serpent in the garden? Did she take of his tree? And did well, Adam wait. take of his tree? And yes, then the children I, that she had was of two trees. And therefore, we were born into sin. So what has happened is the serpent has inseminated himself into the genetics of mankind. There was two if genes. You believe, only there if two, you believe that the snake was in, 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 in any way associated with the seed, you know, of Adam and Eve's offspring. But, yeah, but let's yeah. Back she, up. Took, let's she had back two up. children. She had two children. Uh, she had two children. One was Adam. One was one was you no. Know, one was uh, uh, Cain, and one was Abel. And so when Cain gave his offering, he didn't understand why God didn't accept it, because maybe he was not of the same seed of man. Maybe he was of the seed of the serpent. And when you perceive the Bible through this whole venue, what you what you begin to see is that is that the fallen angels have, have inseminated themselves genetically into mankind and created a different race. Whoa, they created whoa, a different whoa, race, whoa, but through, whoa, the womb, oh, through the oh, womb of hell, Eve. Oh, hell and, no. And hell so therefore no. we were born into sin because, no, because no, the, uh, the, the womb was adulterated. The womb was adulterated by the serpent. So we are all born into sin through this, right? And he created two seeds, two bloodlines, two bloodlines. I, I'm gonna, and, and if you read, I'm if you read the Bible, I, oh, I, it's, a, finish, it's not controversial. Finish it's not up, controversial. and then I'm going to wind this up. I'm going to wind yeah, 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 this up. No problem, no problem, no problem. No, here's the, here's the final what, 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 what word on to... Adam and Eve, okay? The final word on Adam and Eve is the fact that if you believe the Bible, then the entire race of man was born of incest. Okay, moving along. And, <laughs> and and the rest of the Bible, look throughout the rest of the Bible and look at the nonsense. You know, look at Noah and how Noah was no, how Noah came out. Oh, pale. Please don't even no, 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 we're not talking about Noah. I'm gonna get the last word on religion and then we're gonna talk about the work that you do. But here's the thing the entire religion of Christianity, okay, was was born of a woman who really stuck to her story. All right. That's all I have to say about that. No, no, no. Anyway. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not controversial about it. I mean, this is, uh, this is an opportunity yeah, for me this... to speak about my works and, and the things that I, I, I delve into. I, w- I, would just say you... that, I would just say that if, if there were two species, two genetic codes that God tried to wipe out with the flood, that they were called the Nephilim, they were called the giants, they were, they were the people that, that called themselves kings, that created their own kingdoms on the earth, that taught men how to pull metals from the ground, created money, weights and measures, created armies, emulated the kingdom in heaven on earth, and enslaved the entire human race through this genetic bloodline, which became very important because it was, you could not have a savior through a tainted bloodline. So you had to track 
who begot whom, who begot whom, who begot whom through the pure human bloodline. And then you have this other divergent bloodline that was sending oh, himself, inseminating himself man. into the world. Man. If you read the Bible, that's what that's, that's a good whether or not it's true or not. I'm just saying it, whether it's true or not. It's a great science fiction story. We are not going down this rabbit hole, okay? We're just I can not start over. going to do it. I can start over and just talk about comics. <laughs> but it's a great storyline, whether it's true or not. That's my point. It's about the spin. My point is it's about the spin. It's not about, you know, if it's true or not or whatever. It's not about whether the eclipse caused the storm. It's about the spin. And this is the beauty of comics. Whether you think they're controversial or not, they're just as controversial as biblical text. Whether or, and, whether or and, not you think Superman okay, right. is the... I'll, I'll you got that? I'll fight on that. No, no, no. Wait. Wait. I'll fight on that. Now you tell me what the hell your comics are about. What is your? What are your? No, no, no. You stepped in it. You stepped in it. You tell me now. What are the bases for your creative universes in your comics? Well, all right. I'll, I'll be succinct. Okay. I think that comics are a great allegory. They're necessary. No, no, this... no, 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 no. Back the truck up. I'm talking about your comics. Don't talk to me about generic comics. I want to know what are if, if they're allegorical. I want to know what is the basis for the okay, creative okay. universes in your comics. Don't I'm, talk to I'm, me about vague generalities because you're I, not helping yourself here. I, I you promise I will pull away from anything biblical. About what? I, <laughs> I promise I will pull away from anything biblical. Okay, I, I'm straight. I'm, right now. I'm straight comics right now. No, okay. The, uh, comics are, are an allegory, uh, and not in a biblical sense, Oh, my sense. God. You know, not- I wish I could reach through this phone and grab you by your throat. I don't, don't ex- every, look, everybody who listens to this knows about comics. Everybody, okay, let me tell you the things people know about comics. Comics are a creative universe that people use to tell in many cases, allegorical stories in order to to help reflect on our current sociological and psychological circumstance in a, a, a an un, unusual setting. Okay? Yeah, yeah. Superman, Batman, all of them. Those are that's an unusual setting. So cut to the chase. Cut to the chase is what yeah. you're telling me. So what, right, what, what the hell right. do you write? What do you write? All right, the power. How do you, how do you exploit that? How do you exploit that universe? How do you exploit that style of communicating with your readers in order to a get a message across and b get them to come back, you know, time and time again? Because that's important, at least from a financial point of view. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, I I see comics as a, a form of American fantasy that that comics are a creation of our gods, and I mean that as our icons and our architects, our, our archetypes. And so I wanted to create archetypes that were from the indie market. We have archetypes that belong to us, 
And so I wanted to collect those archetypes into uh-huh. a connected universe and edify them at a level that's deserved of any other comic creation. You know, we're, we are creating our new God, not in a biblical sense, but in our sociological, archetypical sense, that if you think of justice, you might think of Superman. Well, let's think of justice and think of someone else, a person of color, a person of diversity, a person, a person from the a powerverse. And th- this is what the powerverse is, is the reimagining of our iconic selves as a social subconscious, as a social tapestry, as a, as a social collective. That's what the powerverse is. So I have gathered people from all across the indie market who have created powerful iconic characters who themselves have not gotten or garnered the attention that's necessary. So I've okay. taken people who yeah. created like Dreadlocks. I'll, I'll, be, I'll, I'll wrap this up. Dreadlocks, uh, the Harlem Shallow, uh, the Harlem Shadow, um, uh, Lucius Hammer, Pink Hammer, um, uh, Willpower, uh, the Horsemen. All those characters have been pulled together into a universe where those characters, some of them, most of them are of color, have a high profile where they can be the new icons of certain attributes that we think are valid and uh, virtuous. No, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense because um, in in our day-to-day culture, like in media, you know, uh, black folks are reflected on very, very poorly. Okay, and as a result of historically doing that, you have people who are automatically afraid of black folks. You have people who will shoot a black person before they'll deal with them. And so what you're trying to do is you're trying to bring the virtues of good people and and instill them in basically an archetype that doesn't get that much respect. Yeah, and it doesn't get that much respect because it, it harkens back to what I was saying before, is if you had an entity that has control over the perception of man throughout history, and that that perception, and if you if you read back, I would just say, look at look at the birth of Noah, look uh-huh. at the Nephilim, and you will see that this new genetic this new genetic strand were people who were light-skinned, taller, had six fingers, six toes, biblically speaking. In other words, what I'm saying is, have we been hijacked by an alternative genetic code that has told you that you yourself are not worth anything and that it has controlled the earth for who knows how many years, and therefore you have no icons, no gods, that look like you. If you read the Bible, you will see that that's a great, fantastic story it tells. And and uh, if you if you read Enoch and all the extra biblical texts, it might lead you down that path. That there were people who were all centralized of brown skin who were invaded by extra paranormal race that was counter to their color 
and created offspring that were not their color. And they were told that those people who are not their color were their kings. And those kings of a different color created kingdoms that congregated and, and proliferated themselves across the planet and subjugated anyone of indigenous stripe and wiped their gods and icons and archetypes away from the world and told you that the stream that flows free is not yours, that you need to pay for them. <laughs> that the land right. that is that is not yours, that the land was not yours, and you need to pay for it. Okay, let me ask you this. Then would it be fair to say that the you basis need new gods. For... You need new gods. Yeah, well... You need new gods in, in the social uh, tapestry to show that people of color are of just the same value, worth, and who knows if more. I'm, I'm not saying that. But, but at this point in time, we are all blended. And thank goodness, whether your Bible is true or not, there's a Savior that saves us all from, from the fallen seed to the purposeful seed. And, and you need to have heroes, which in the Bible are called judges, that show you this, that show you you are all worthy, no matter what stripe, color, or background, because someone came in and tried to break you up by color and gene and genome. Okay. All right. So let me let me see if I get this straight. It sounds to me it sounds to me like the mission of your publications, the mission of the stories that your comics tell, is to reimagine European centric stories that are based in let's just say the Bible, but but to reimagine and or them history. and with, or history. With, yeah, and reimagine them without the Eurocentrism that the Bible and oral history has traditionally carried for the past 2,000 years. Would that be and, fair and, to say? And, and acknowledging the, the, the Eurocentric influence and denouncing it for a foreign uh, entity that has told you a false history and has convinced you that the uh, everything that you've created is not of value. And even the blended fact, because we are blended. I don't, you know, there's some people that might be super pure. I don't know. But we're all blended, as you are, as I am. But there is a saving grace, whether spiritually or uh, through our archetypes, there is a saving grace that shows that all people of all stripes ha can be viewed as uh, just saviors, heroic, uh, people who can save the day. And there needs to be a new generation of gods, and I mean that by superheroes, that can show those people that that is true. So whether or not my, my rantings, biblical rantings are true or not, that is what the uh, 
that is what the the stories I try to present represent. Okay. All right. Well, that, I mean, uh, and and how long have you actually been publishing in this arena? I started with the Legend of Willpower in 2011, and he was a character who basically uh, the universe. Uh, there was a machine that thinned the density of the entire universe, but he was left whole. So he was the densest thing alive, and that wave has traveled out through all the independent realities and thinned the barriers that separated us as independent creators. And then, and so I created something called the Powerverse from that, meaning that the, unit, the individual creative uh, entities and studios that are out there were amalgamating because there is no barrier left between our studios into something greater, larger, giant, and that is called the Powerverse because there is no longer any barriers between Marvel, DC, my universe, Joe's universe, and Sean's universe. And so I've created the Powerverse. Whether Marvel or DC knows they're in it, that's up to, for them to decide. And so we have a, we have a uh, surveilling entity called the Powers That Be. And they have something called the Panopticon, a machine that allows them to per, uh, perceive all these different realities, pull crossover agents from those realities to fight to fight entities that are a threat to the multiverse as a whole. So in other words, it is an allegory, the powerverse is an allegory for independent creators to come together especially those of color, because we have the number. We have the number. We have the ideas. If we just came together and formed one powerful structure, we could then create the iconic and archetypical archetypes that show you what valor, heroism, strength, and heroics look like and that they don't all necessarily have to be, have to be, people who are blonde and blue-eyed. I'm not saying that they can't, but in, in my configuration, they can be everyone because something long ago told you they couldn't be. And, and, all right. and, whether, and whether we believe it, whether we know it or not, uh, just like the just like the family secret, which is only two generations old, you don't know that your aunt is your mother. Someone can tell you. Someone can tell you the Earth is billions and billions and billions and billions of years old. The fact is, you don't know. What what you do have in common with the common man is uh, common virtues. And okay. it's, up to, it's, up, it's up to us to pull those virtues together, and, and, and you know, we, sometimes we need archetypes to make us do that. So it sounds to me like from a publishing perspective, you're trying to put together a, a like, a, a, a metaverse where all creative universes can contribute together. Exactly. 
Exactly. It's just okay. That we can be man. Now, that we can be mankind of our and uh, mankind of our own archetype. All right. So the the question that comes immediately to my mind is, how are you going to convince, you know, black folks, black creatives with a zero sum mentality, to to want to become part of this? when they figure that every sale that you make in your creative universe, right or wrong, this is what they believe, is taking money out of their pockets. Because there are a whole lot of black creatives out there who who do subscribe to this zero-sum creative mentality where they believe that, you know, cooperate with anybody else, even acknowledge anybody else, is detrimental to their finances. That's a tough road to hoe. So, yeah, so what it can is. You do, it is. Yeah, what can you do to kind of help them re reimagine financial cooperation or at least commercial. Let's just talk commercial. Let's not talk financial. Let's talk commercial um, cooperation where they actually get an extra view of their work through what you're trying to do. Yeah, we have to understand when we are in an abusive relationship. Right. When, uh, people people of the uh, people in abusive relationships, you know, we adapt and we take the abuse and we think it's normal. Okay? Uh so <laughs> so what I tried to do with the powerverse is I I backed away from all that abuse that they're normal to and that they're they've been normalized to. And I I don't take fifty, I don't take forty, I don't take thirty, I don't take twenty. I I take fifteen percent of sales. In exchange for that, I give them an architecture of a unified cosmology, an open source reality that they can share with rules uh-huh. they can share uh, because the rules of a reality is very important. You know, if I asked you in Star Wars, what is the thing that allows Jedis to move, you know, pillars, you would say the force. Or in the Marvel Universe, I would say, hey, when you turn, when you reach puberty, there's a chance that you might become what? a mutant, and there's mm-hmm. those commonalities mm-hmm. that draw those universes together. People do not read titles. They read universes. So what I've created is a powerverse that has a certain open source uh, rule system uh-huh. that all these titles can uh, leverage to show that they're connected, right? I don't take right. 50 or 60%. I take 15 there's no strings attached so that so you can leave whenever you want. There's nothing tying you down. There's no contracts or anything else. As you create the system to overcome this bias, because you've been, you've been sold into a, a belief system that everyone has to have the upper hand by a false sense of reality that has been bestowed upon you for thousands of years. <laughs> Right. This is a new paradigm. So, so the powerverse basically uh, is a collective of of a multiverse. So you can have your own reality with your own rules and everything else. And you have a shared rule system. And if you leave, mm-hmm. it doesn't hurt your book because you still exist in your own reality. 
The only thing that's happened is that the barriers are thinner. Yeah, and and you you still manage to retain ownership of your own intellectual property. It sounds like exactly, exactly. So what I'm what I'm trying to do, and, and, you know, and and I'll tell you this: we've been taught to distrust people, but if you go anywhere in the world and you look up any indigenous culture, especially if they're of color, and even if they're not, they are the most trustworthy, accepting people in the world. This, this this idea that we distrust each other is foreign. It's real. No, what you're saying is real, but it's foreign. It's foreign. If you go into the hood, just as an example, you'll find people of all color and stripes. You'll find white kids that are so hard, Asian kids that are down, and and those people that live in that hood will accept them. So somewhere along the line, we were we were sold a bill of goods that we were somehow uh, separate, derisive, the, the and and not meant to trust one another. And so the whole the whole what I go back to the allegory of the power verse is that the power verse is this whole allegory of us coming together and creating our own icon for ourselves, and that doesn't necessarily mean people of color. But I push that because I think if you can identify with someone of color, you can identify with anyone. You know, it sounds it sounds on on its surface like a great idea, and I'm not I'm not saying that oh there's there's a trap. I'm not saying that at all. But there's a trap. We'll take all your money. <laughs> well, you know. There are some sad-ass creatives out there who are so paranoid and and so so driven to be so overly cautious that obviously an idea like this is going to take, you know, it's not going to be something that's going to be immediately um, taken to. No, you're right. And the yeah, yeah, it is, is something tough. I had to overcome. Yeah, you know, talk uh, to me about some of the the, the pitfalls that people have hit you up with about this? You know, um, I, I, I think it, it, the the whole, I'm not going to beat this over the head, but the whole biblical aspect was to show that we have been taught division from such an early aspect, whether it's true or not, whether the, whether the specific points are true or not. The division, right. the division, has division has been taught to us somewhere okay so that that's my main point so whether you think I'm loony or crazy my main point is that division has been taught to us we are not divisive people so what i had to do was i created a story arc and i asked some of the prominent creators to come on and and these are people i hold in high regard People like um, Brian Mark Williams, Jibba, who is the creator of The Horsemen, uh, Andrew Batts, the creator of Dreadlocks, uh, Roosevelt mm-hmm. Pitt, the creator of Purge. Because mm-hmm. these characters, whether they believe it or not, those characters are iconic. And they're iconic of our, uh, our generation, our 
ethnic group, our sociological ethnic group, and so I wanted to bring them together. I wanted to create a new milestone uh, because what Milestone had done, it wasn't just a black comic book company. It started from that, but I think in the in the ecumenical sense, no, not not in the in the etymological, no, not even that. In the anthropomorphic, not even that. What is the word I'm looking for? <laughs> in the human sense, a lot of stuff starts from the darker spectrum, and that and that once you can embrace that, you can find connections with people of color and those who are not all over the world. Once you realize we're all a part of the same clan. I uh, mean that's not a good word. <laughs> the same no, tribe. You, yeah. you you can you can start you can start to realize, you know, we have connections. And and Milestone did that and, and I saw that there was a vacuum in that respect and I wanted and those guys were like my idols and I wanted to create something that that started with people of color and expanded, you know, into other uh, demographics, but still held true to that. And so uh, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap this up. So I went to people of color, did a short story art. They agreed to that short story art. And then I just said, oh, we're a whole new universe. And I just sprung it on them marketing-wise. And then people just right. ate it up. They loved it. And then those people started to come over slowly and, and realize, you know what, Vince, you're right. As I started to bring on more and more people who were not of that same uh, ethnic background, they started to realize, you know what, Vince, you're right. You're right. We need to come together. Forget all, forget everything else. We need to come together. And so they're, slow, they're slowly doing that. And I think uh, if we do that, we realize, you know, that we have the talent and the, the uh Well, it sounds like you're picking up momentum. That it's not a, it's not something that is, that is just automatically poo-pooed by everybody who hears it. You're, you're, no. you know, you, it sounds like your message is being accepted, um, and and it's more than just a, you know, a creeping acceptance. It sounds like people are are kind of figuring out what it is that you are really selling. As, yes, as, it's like it's like the Nat Turner thing. I watched, I watched that the other day, and uh, you know he, he slowly convinced people like, hey, you know what, we we need to make a move, and they didn't believe in him at first, but slowly they started to believe in him. And and I'm sorry I used that as an example, but if I were to relate this to a, a greater sense, I call superheroes American fantasy. I brought that up again. And what superheroes are, are like they are the construct of our social subconscious. They are the manifestations of what we believe are the ideals of our societal standards. So when you see Superman, he's the ideal of hope. When you see Batman or Wonder Woman, she's the ideal of heroism. What I'm trying or justice, to, or or one of the bigger concepts like that. Yes, yes. So what I'm trying to realize is that you think comics are sitting over here in this pocket dimension, and what I'm saying is they know they are e- they are equal to biblical texts. If I if I if I dare take on heresy, they're equal to biblical texts. 
for the non-initiated because they are conveying these greater concepts and and more and more than biblical texts, they are attributing a faith to it. And and if that faith doesn't look multicultural, what you then have again in the in the biblical text and again now is that you have this attribute attribution to uh um a greater sense of ideals to people who do not represent the fabric of the world. And so you've created division. And that is the ultimate goal of anything subversive, evil, or contrary to mankind. Because we are not meant to be divided. So when you create comics, you're creating a very, very, very powerful tool that people discount, and and we need to take control of it because it is our American and now global fantasy. It is our ideal. And if you well, never, also, and you know, you you know, people don't read a word of the Bible, but they might know something about comics, and we gotta take we. It's our time to take control of that. Well, yeah, but the the main point of that is comic books make whatever ideas you put in them accessible to, I would say, well, obviously to children. You know, how many kids do you see walking around with the Holy Bible, you know, just reading it for pleasure? That's usually not the norm. But when when you infuse, you know, the kinds of values, and the kinds of stories and the kinds of heroes and the kinds of you know, archetypes and the kinds of, of, of positive messages that you want to convey and you put it in a comic book, you make it far, far more accessible, especially for our young. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's a great way to, to, to try to, to get messages across to kids when they're young. And if you make them the stories and the characters compelling, the kids are going to come back for more to get more reinforcement for whatever for whatever it is that you're trying to give them. And, I would and, double and, down and on that. I, I yeah. would double down on that. I would double down on that and say that it's not just a great way. It is the way. And why do, what do I mean by that? Uh, you know, children in ancient Greece you know, there's a reason is why they looked up to Apollo and Venus or whatever, because those are the ideals that were told to them. And in people in ancient Africa, there's a reason why they had Oshuan and Ogon and Eshu and whatever, because those were their gods. What you understand what a god is, he is the personification of an ideal. And so what are the gods – when you go to Ireland, you've got leprechauns and fairies. When you go to Japan, you have dragons and shoguns and ninjas. And in Europe, you've got knights of the round table and so forth and wizards and warlocks. These things, these, these archetypes are very important to how you perceive yourself. So what do we have in America? Beyond religion, this is why I got into the whole religion text and how religion can be hijacked. I'm going back into the archetypes and how 
archetypes can be hijacked. That's what I was. That's that's the whole purpose of of why I went all all this rant is that our 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 archetypical icons are not biblical. There's something new. We have our own fantasy. It's not dragons. It's not leprechauns. It's not fairies. It's superheroes. That is American fantasy. And if we are not present in that genre, then someone else is dictating our ideals of what the ideals should look like. And when I when I looked when I looked over the landscape of indie comics, I realized, man, we have some great freaking characters and we have been sold that we should not be working together. But if we came together, this is the new playground. This is the new iconic landscape. We should be I want to I should I should want to be like the brother or Purge or Dreadlock or Willpower or the Horseman or Pink Hammer or Mega Woman. I should want to be like that. And every child, no matter what color of their eyes or hair, should want to be like that. Because if they were at least like that, they wouldn't care if they wouldn't care if the next person came up to them was Jewish, Japanese, uh, Hispanic, white, black. Because once you embrace this culture that's an inclusive culture, you will embrace all things. Mm-hmm. Now, do you have a strategy? Do you have an overall strategy for getting these comics out into the wild um, so, so that they can start doing their work of reshaping, you know, the current superhero landscape of, of America's life. American fantasy. American fantasy, yeah. American lecture. I, 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 like, I like the fact that you embrace that. Yes, I do. And, you know, uh, thank you, Mr. Jeppy. Uh, he, he invited me and, and housed my comic within his personal uh, museum. Uh, Mr. Jeppy is the owner of Diamond, who is the a single uh, distributor of comic books throughout the United States and the world. He held my comic book with Milestone Comic Creators and other up-and-coming black creators in his own private museum two years ago. I, I thank him for that and invited me to the private gala where I got to meet all the likes of Dennis Cowens and Michael Davis and uh, Kyle Baker and everyone, all the big wigs, all the big wig African-American artists. Uh, we got the, uh, you know, Kajil and hanging out and so forth. I thank him for that. But mm-hmm. Diamond, Diamond is not the way of the future. What is happening is Diamond's direct customers are the individual comic book shops. Individual comic book shops are closing every month. So if yeah, they I've close, been watching that too. Yeah. yeah. So if they close, then Diamond, that, that one comic book shop is ordering at least, you know, I don't know, 4,000 issues a month. Right. And, and so if they close once a month, Diamond is losing market share every month. Okay, so they're not going to be the vehicle 
So what's going to happen is uh, comic shops are going to atrophy. You see Marvel and DC already putting themselves on a footing where that will that, that not matter. They're selling digital copies from Marvel.com and DC.com. They're usurping the whole ideal that you have to go to a comic book shop. So if Marvel and DC are already undercutting the shop owner and therefore, by extension, Diamond, then what is happening is the comic book market will become a free-for-all. You have Comicology, which is a platform that sells comics. You have Peep Game, which is a brother selling comics, peepgame.com. I would tell you go there. He's selling comics of all different stripes and colors. And by the Powerverse unifying multiple comics under one multiverse, under one masthead, then what we're becoming is Amazon, Comicology, and Pete Game, but also a comic book title. We're going to create so, our own distribution force. Okay. Yeah. That, no, that makes sense. Um, and and the other thing is, as you attract more and more content creatives to your stable, you're naturally going to be increasing. The, the 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 you know the the influence that you have on the overall market. Um, I I assume you have a business model in place to take advantage of that because we're we're just we're not talking about ten years down the road. We're looking, you know, it could be as soon as a year down the road where you need to exploit that business model. Yeah, what's going to happen basically is that. Um, with the with 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 there no longer being a main core distrib- uh, uh, dispensation model like Diamond, okay, uh, then you have studios and companies fighting for their own. The question is, how many titles do you have under that brand? How many titles right. do you have under Marvel? How many titles do you have under DC? If the Powerless has 142 then obviously we're going to be as large as Comicology and, and Amazon and anyone else, well, maybe not Amazon, but, you know, we're getting there. So we're going to leverage Amazon. We're going to leverage Comicology. We're going to leverage Peak Game. We're going to leverage any other independent provider that sells comics as well as thepowerverse.com, and we're going to mm-hmm. try to, to overtake the creation of American icons and American fantasy through our own platform. Now that's see, I, I understand that concept well, and and obviously it's a necessary component of where you have to go. Can you talk to us a little bit about your marketing strategy to get eyes on you, you know your not only your marketing materials but to get eyes on your platform? Oh well, once again, you have you have people who uh, who study the market, who right. um, weigh risk and reward, and they think they right. have calculations. And I will then I will then say to you, we are dealing with with something that is a bit of mysticism. Uh-huh. Comic books are a bit of mysticism. They are. I'm not saying they're religious, 
But what they are derives themselves from a religious background, meaning that you're creating iconic, let's go that way, (laughs) iconic and um, sort of virtuous uh, entities that uh, are, that surpass your normal commerce product. You're creating, I mean, Captain America will never be quantified by a T-shirt or a comic. He's an ideal. And so what we're, what we're, what we're doing is creating new mythology. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're we're in the product of creating new. We're in the process of creating new mythology for a new generation. And, right. Uh, if you can create that successfully and succinctly, you where where others cannot because they're locked down to the same names. You know, Captain Marvel or Shazam. They're locked down to that. You're talking about we're on the precipice of a digital age, a new generation, and you and I know they have no idea what, uh, this goes back to the family secret thing. (laughs) We think we know history, but the people that are just 10 or 15 years older than us, younger than us, 20 years, which I'm in my 40s. If you're 20, you're like a grown adult. They have no idea. What they have no idea what a rotary phone looks like, right? Okay. So, so they have no idea what history is. You think you know what history is, but it's only something someone told you. Okay, so, so if you think Superman, Batman, and everything is our history, it's only what you've been told. But to the new generation, they don't know that. And if we are showing them, oh no, willpower, dreadlocks and everything else is history, these are your new icons, then you can surpass them all because they have no clue about the past. They have no clue about the past. And Marvel and DC are fixed into this uh, system where they're putting out books every month to a comic shop. And if the comic shop doesn't exist, then their avenue to access new readerships do not exist. Now you're talking about um, if there's no avenue to new readership via a shop, now you're talking about concepts and ideology. And if you're telling me to the new generation, Superman is your ide- ideology of hope, and I'm telling you no, willpower, this person of color, is your ideology of hope, the progressively browning of the world will lean towards people of color. But we're finding that, yeah, we're finding that uh, content that is that is um, diversified, content that reflects an accurate worldview of how how it looks on the street in America. Um, content of, of that nature makes more money, and and it's becoming more and more popular. Um, and we're also finding out that. The, 
the traditional gatekeepers that have existed for two, ah. three, four, five generations ah. are no longer able to hold. Yeah, so are no longer able to 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 be the guardians of the gate and exclude people who have a a, a more diverse message, a more diverse universe, a more diverse environment um, that that they're not able to close that off, you know, the bar has been lowered to getting your work out there. Even though the bar is lowered, there's still the challenge that everyone faces, which is getting eyeballs on the content. And of course, you know, everybody has that problem, but... um, the, the fact is, once people discover you and discover that you have a diverse message that actually looks like, you know, uh, the street that they live on or, or the downtown they ride a bus to get to or what have you, um, people are much happier consuming that kind of diversified content. I challenge you on two, on two points. I challenge you on two points, not, not in, and not to be contrary to what you just said, but just challenge you as individuals. You said that there are gatekeepers, and those gatekeepers basically tell you what is your God. What are your iconic uh, archetypical? Okay. I'll tell you who the gatekeeper was at my age. When I was comic book age, the gatekeeper was Marvel and DC, who had the only coin-operated comic book um, uh, distribution centers in Walgreens, Woolworths, and, and all of the stores where kids went to get their toys and what have you. They that sold was them to vending machines? They, they sold them to vending yeah. machines? Oh, yeah, yeah in, ah. in my neighborhood, we didn't tear them up so bad so that they left them there. But, yeah, we had I, – I would go, and, and these vending machines were owned by – some were owned by uh, distribution syndicates. And some, and and of course, when you are a member of the distribution syndicate like Marvel and um, DC, you get better placement. So the comics that were that were at eye level or higher were all of the mainline DC and 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 Marvel comics. And then you had Archie, you had uh, you know, you had uh, Baby Huey, you had Huey, Dewey, and Louie, you had all of those other. Um, comics that were kind of on the lower end of that but but that that's what I mean by the gatekeepers or you know how Coca-Cola and Pepsi never share the same shelf at the grocery store same thing with comic books at bookstores you know you had the DC comics over here you had the Marvel comics over here and you had you had the uh, you know the history comics in the middle kind of delineating them so you know those are the kinds of gatekeepers I'm talking to and now the way Marvel and DC are operating their gatekeepers, it's much, much more psychological. It's much more uh, market-driven because their gatekeepers are, well, we're only going to allow certain kinds of superhero movies to be released, and that's their marketing. You know that's what I'm saying? Market. Well, I'll, yeah. I'll just say, I'll say this. This is, why, this is why I think it's all-encompassing. You know, I, I would challenge you, you know, uh, there's gatekeepers. We know there are gatekeepers. And there are gatekeepers to ideals. And we're just talking about comics. 
But then I, I show you how comics are relative to uh, idols, which are relative right. to God, which are relative to concepts that govern our lives. So there's gatekeepers to concepts and history that govern our lives. So this is why I, I went, I started out, you know, in the uh, venue that I did because I thought it was very, very, one, entertaining. And two, uh, I want to always pose the idea that history is something that is actually his story. And what we are told and taught and that we hold true may not be at all true. And we have no true true evidence of it because the evidence that we might reference may in fact be false. What we well, I what think we that's, do that's true. Yeah, that is true. This is Go ahead. this is very true. And so so you know I I'm open minded. Don't think it's don't think I'm myopic, all right? And I'm just like, oh, we're biblical and DNA and whatever. I see the scientific. I, I, I weigh them all. I weigh them all. But the but but the truth is is that we don't freaking know. And the other truth is is that someone does know the family secret. And it and this relates back to comics. Uh huh. If someone has taken over our icons and our archons and our ideals, this is a very freaking powerful thing. This is not just a comic book play. These are these are things. This is something that controls us, whether we believe it or not. And I I tell you, no matter what stripe you are. No matter uh, you know your creative ability, the powerverse is here to reshape the uh, concepts of heroes and judges in today's world. It's time we create new mythologies for an entirely new generation, and that's what we're about. And what is what is my uh, marketing plan for that? I was trying to get into it, and I got distracted. I was just saying that some people judge the market, and they they look at it scientifically. My view is if we have the spirit, if we have the juice, (laughs) but if if we have the authenticity of a grassroots movement that people can see the energy that we have, the truth that we have, I feel that that in areas like this are more important than any any campaign you can aspire to because if you're trying to take the limelight from Marvel and DC through campaignism, you're not going to succeed. The only thing that's going to win itself out is uh, is authenticity. And I think the Powerverse has proven itself to be very authentic in that regard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, what kind of what kind of market response have you gotten to your to to your endeavor there? 
Well, you know, I don't think people read comic books. I think they read universes. And no one has created a connected universe since Marvel and DC that is, that is as large as what we're doing. You, you know, Image is not connected. They're a disparate, vulcanized group of books. Dark Horse is not connected. They're, once again, a disparate, vulcanized collection of books. Uh-huh. Uh, Valiant came close, but my boy Jim Shooter was just so real, they did not want to deal with him. Much props to you, Jim. And and now Valiant in his new incarnation or incantation is, is like a, it's um it's like seven titles. Well, it's not even large. Right. So the largest connected universe out of all comicdom at this moment is the Powerverse. No one, even even if you go to, you know, some of the newer guys who are starting universes, and we have uh-huh. over 19 titles and growing. And wow. I will say Pink Hammer, has, Pink Hammer is coming on in 2008. This is something I will only tell you. Mega Woman is coming on 2018, excuse me. 2018, uh, you know, you, uh, The Legend of Willpower, uh, Jen, uh, The Powers That Be, Liberties and Justice, uh, Liberty and Justice, uh, Cerberus, Dreadlocks. It, it is growing because people are starting to realize, you know what? We do have a say. Uh, and so uh, uh, just to get into the mechanics of the universe real quick. Uh, it is a multiverse to let creators realize that they can still keep their universe and they can leave whenever they want. Uh, there was something that happened in the, uh, oh gosh, Youngblood storyline where Spawn was actually created by a character from Youngblood. His name was Chapel. Chapel killed the mercenary that later became Spawn. And because they had these links between two universes, when they sort of parted ways, Spawn had to recreate its origin. Mm-hmm. So the reason why I created the Powerverse as a multiverse with no strings attached is so that if you left, it makes sense. You're not intertwined in my universe or his or hers or theirs. You're in your own universe, and if you decide to leave for whatever reason, you can leave and it makes sense. But they benefit from your, you know, the marketing of your universe. Yeah. You know, let's, let's say somebody comes, you know, checking out Harvard, and what they find is, oh, my God, look, here's 19 different creative universes that, that are aggregated right here. So I'm not only am I likely to find something I like, I'm likely to find many things that I like. Yes. And and, <laughs> and even in Marvel. Oh God. Yeah, I'm just I'm just playing devil's advocate right now. But even in Marvel, you got the scroll that come over and take over everything and hide themselves within the universe. <laughs> no. But but uh yeah, that's exactly what you get. You get a you get a connected collection of universes. And so this is why the term Powerverse comes together because they they start to call it themselves. 
the power verse. It's like it's like our our galaxy. And even though you look at Andromeda and you say it's in our reality, they're saying, no, it's not in our reality, but we can see it and we can go to it. And when we go there, uh, there has, they have an earth that's similar to ours but different. And when we go over to um, Nexus B, it's the exact same thing. They have an earth sure. that's similar to ours but different. And uh, what uh, there's something called Weaver Metal that starts to manifest itself in our reality because the rea- because universes need rules like the force, like the X gene. Oh, yeah, there, there and, has to be a consistent uh, cosmology. Exactly the cosmology, and we do have a shared cosmology as well. But but among the uh, shared elements is something called Weaver Metal. Metal. It's like a mixture of adamantium and vibranium. If you guys don't know that, look up Marvel. It, it, it's a sharp metal that can cut on the atomic level. It can cut through the atomic structure. So uh, if charged, what they have realized is that you cut through sort of quantum mechanics, quantum physics. And this, this Weaver metal starts to become commercialized in the form of Weavergate. There's a company called right. the Greater Than Less Than Corporation, and they say, why go to Tahiti where you can come to one of our centers and we can send you to Dime. We call them Dime, Dimensionality. Mm-hmm. Dimensionality. Mm-hmm. We can send you to Dime 4 where they have, um, I don't know, uh, pleasure mushrooms growing off of trees. Go there. And so they start to deal, and then they, they, they have these interdimensional commerce and transport ships, and they make contact to other uh, realms and say, hey, would you like a dive gate? And some, some realms say no, and some realms say yes. And so you get this connectivity where it's something like Superman going to Aquaman in uh, undersea, whether you believe it or not. It's almost like a different world. Where Superman <laughs> goes underwater to Atlantis, he's going to a different world. And that's, that's right. basically right. what happens in the Powerverse. Uh, my character can say, uh, I need to go see um, William, and he's in Dime 14, well, are we going to take a Weaver ship or a Weaver gate? Well, let's contact him through the interdimensional network and see what he says and how he wants us to arrive, and we'll do that. And then we'll show up yeah. on your doorstep, William, and then we'll say, hey, look, there's a, a virus, a cosmological virus that's attacking the digital tapestry of the multiverse, and we need your help. And he's, ah, what dime is it in? It's in dime 44. Well, it's not near me yet. I'm not concerned about it. Maybe you should go over to your fourth title, <laughs> The Globalists, and see if they're more concerned about it and joining forces with you. Okay, we'll do that. And so what you have yeah. is these independent creators suddenly working together in a universe that makes sense, attacking problems that, uh, some some of them attack all of them. Some of them are just relegated to the worlds that they are. And it, you've now created something that's greater than Marvel, DC, or Image, in my opinion, 
So that, and and it ends up and it ends up being an invitation to new creatives who want to maybe start their own thing, but maybe have a little leg up in the marketing department. I hate to do this, but we're gonna have we're gonna have to call this uh call this a day <laughs> because we are we are we started a little late, so we went a little late. But but Vince, man, I wanted to thank you for coming here. I want to have you back again so that we could at least start off like we did uh, today with a, a broader discussion about uh, you know about I guess the underpinnings of history and the underpinnings of our creative cosmology, yeah. and, and then we can go on for there from there. But man, yeah. hey, I'm, I'm, sorry to I'm sorry to come. I'm sorry to convolute your your show with that, uh, but it, you, you realize how closely knitted they are, you know, and Ooh, and that's why you know, that's why I was willing to dive deep into it. So I apologize. Thank you for no, thanks, not to, at all. Thanks, thanks to all the uh, uh, black scientific uh, listeners. Uh, I, I know I said that wrong, but thank you guys. You guys are always a great support. This show is awesome, and uh, I, I'm glad that you brought me on. Yeah, well, just hang on a second. I'm going to end the show because Jarvis is out and about. He is, uh, what is he doing? I think his son had a game tonight, and he had to go take care of that. But uh, what I want to do is I want to thank those of you who listened live. It's always appreciated to see you guys here, especially when I get, uh, get somebody from Kenya listening in. That's always fun when they show up. Um, I want to thank the people who support this as a podcast, who pick it up as a podcast, and who support BlackScienceFictionSociety.com website um, as as a collective with probably more black creatives than any other website that I that at least that I found. I also want to thank the people who support me for doing this show. Um, it's fun. It's fun. I enjoy it. You know. And until I get the ankle bracelet off, they said I was going to be <laughs> five to eight. Uh, so uh, you know. Uh, anyway. I want to thank everybody who does listen live because it's always fun. Um, uh, and, and a special thanks to you, Vince, because it's always fun to get somebody like you in, you know. But it is. I'm just being honest. It is. I was, always I was fun. a pain in the butt today. <laughs> no, not at all. Dude, you know, if, if, you, if you want to listen to – a show where I almost lost my, uh, where I, uh, where I was not as, you know, this, this was easy. Trust me. This <laughs> actually, this kind of you, you as a guest is fun. So everybody, I am going to close out the show. I want to thank everybody for being here, and uh, you know, we'll look forward to seeing everybody for the next show. Thanks again, Vince. Thank you. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.